Hello, hello, and welcome to the Firefly Collective, a spicy fantasy bookish podcast hosted by two besties, Carrie and Hannah. Once upon a time, two best friends were discussing book clubs and the strict rules that make up their monthly meetings. After getting dismissed by one book club in particular, the women decided to host their own book club. They call it the Fairy Spice Book Club, where there were no rules. Want to read the book? Want to skip the book that month and discuss your cats instead? Have the desire to obsess over the Shadow Daddy in the latest fantasy series? We are here for you. The Firefly Collective is simply the extension of our beloved book club made up of several fabulous women from all over the world. We will be discussing in depth the fantasy book of the month, including magical world building, characters, themes, conflict, theories, tropes, lore, and much much more. The Firefly Collective podcast is rated R. We will be talking about an adult book in adult language with adult content. Because we're a bookish podcast, we will be discussing anything and everything about the book of the month. So if you've not read the book, I implore you to go read the book and then come back and listen to us because there will be spoilers. And we will say things about this book, probably about Fourth Wing, probably about other books, who knows? But yeah, major, major spoilers. And adult content. These are spicy books, people, and we will be discussing those spicy scenes. So if you don't like adult language, you don't like to talk about sex, then this probably is not the podcast for you. Yes, it is rated R. Adult books, adult language, adult content. And definitely some sexy scenes. We're going to talk about the spice, people. It's all about the spice. It is all about the spice. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I am Hannah. I am the more chaotic of your two hosts. Um, <laughs> I am. Uh, I bring that Leo energy, and I am probably the. I I am more likely to go on a rant and not call anybody by the correct name um, because I have a hard time keeping them straight in my head. Um, so I have nicknames for a lot of characters um, and and I just, you know, just roll with it. It's fine. Carrie does the research and I come out with the crazy theories. Um, we love the crazy theories. We love the crazy theories. And the names. And, and the fact that I can't remember any characters' names. I should probably have spreadsheets. But what would be the fun in that? gotta keep you people on your toes no i am a corporate girly by day a book reading nerd tv and film watching cosplaying fantasy loving girly by night or any time that i'm not having to work at my corporate job and maybe sometimes reading during my corporate job don't tell my boss kindle app for your laptop is fantastic just gonna say that i i love fantasy i think carrie and i would probably both agree harry potter was really probably the catalyst into fantasy for i know myself and and Carrie as well and my yeah, it's what brought us together and it's also what brought us together it's how we met we met at a harry potter alliance chapter uh so harry potter club adult harry potter club and from there i've I've just always enjoyed uh world building and books like the hunger games and the giver and 
as I've gotten older, I like my books more mature, so, <laughs> a.k.a. give me some spice. Yeah. And I feel like we are in the amazing age of fantasy books with yep. spice versus just having to read like a Harlequin romance to get your sex in a book. So I love that I can have romance and like high fantasy mixed together. High fae fantasy. High fae fantasy. <laughs> Ooh, give me some god lore, you know, vampires. I'm not particularly into the werewolf thing. Nothing against it. It's just not, I'm not going to choose a werewolf book over something else. But all power to you if that's one of the fantasy tropes you like. Speaking of tropes, I love an enemies to lovers trope. Same, same. Oh, it's my favorite. Oh, so my favorite. It's so good. And then I don't hate a sunshine grump. You know, a lot of our shadow daddies are are grumpy. Ooh, think like Mr. Darcy. Yeah, like that sunshine grumpy trope. And you know, who doesn't love a one bed trope? Uh how, how does every inn only have one bed? I don't know. It's like the hallmark of a fantasy book. It's always, it's always too, too small. small bed. There's only one. He says he'll sleep on the floor. She won't hear of it. Blah, blah, blah. Sexy time later. I like a lot of tropes, but I definitely would say enemies to lovers would be my favorite. What about you, Carrie? What got you into fantasy? Why do you love fantasy? And obviously, who are you? Oh, yeah. I'm Carrie, the other half of the Firefly Collective. I do like to do the research. I like to know names and dates and <laughs> backgrounds and how the world is building all around us. But I, I definitely have to write it down because I wouldn't remember either. But that, sometimes they're they're not real words. I know. I know. And that's what I love about you, Hannah, because you come up with the funniest names for characters. And it's the perfect explanation or description of these awful characters or you have oh. one for Varish. Oh, yeah. I, I call him Kabadon Nazi. Oh. <laughs> and you know who we're, we're talking about when she says that. You know it's Varish. But it's so much funnier when she says that. Well, there were too many V things that all sounded alike. And I kept getting him confused. And so my mind just gave him a nickname. Yes. <laughs> and it's perfect. Yes. But see, you know his real name so that other people understand. I'm that... OCD type A when it comes to books at least I I grew up with I'm a little bit older so I grew up with Babysitter's Club we had fantasy books but it wasn't until Harry Potter came around that it was really like oh this is my jam and then after reading them a million times uh you know Lord of the Rings the Hobbit and Hunger Games and and thanks to Hannah, I've gotten into Blood and Ash. Oh, you're welcome. Yes, Castile. Jennifer L. Armatrout is a goddess. She who, is amazing. Who gives us curvy queens to love and shadow daddies to lust after. Oh my gosh. I think that's my favorite part is that she's not this skinny little five foot two beautiful being. Like they have scars or they, you know, this is when I knew I was going to love from Blood and Ash is Poppy was describing another woman 
And she said, she's thin in a way I'll never be because I like cheese too much. Yes. And I was like, girl, same. Oh. Yes. So if you have not read From Blood and Ash, Jibril Almertrout is chef's kiss. Genius. Um, genius. Absolute genius. She <laughs> writes some wonderful spice, great, strong female characters, and some good shadow daddies. And yeah. I would say some of the best side characters. I agree. There's some really good side characters. We will talk about it? some of her books in a, in a future episode. I would say authors I really love uh-huh. in fantasy, and you could talk about this too, Carrie, um, would be Jivra Armatrout. Yes. Um, obviously, Rebecca Yaros. Queen. Sarah Queen. J. Moss. Um, always open to new recommendations. I'm still making my way through the Moss back catalog. I have not started Throne of Glass yet, so I've got a ways to go in front of me. Well, and Crescent City 3 is coming out, so I'm currently rereading 1 and 2. So I think if I put it in order of favorites, I loved Akatar the entire series. I think book 3, Wings and Ruin, was my favorite by far. I just love the way it's written. And then Throne of Glass was really good too. Crescent City, I'd put it third. I like Bryce. I like where the story goes, but it's not as hot as Akatar. Yeah. What are your favorite tropes? Yeah. Least favorite tropes? What do, you, what, what do you like? I definitely love the enemies to lovers. One of my favorites is best friends to lovers. That's kind of how my husband and I started out being really good friends. We maintained a friendship for several years before we were both single and then it snowballed after that. So that's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I don't know if I have a least trope. You know what? That's not true. Anything that is, I don't know if you consider it a trope, anything that's kind of violent sex. And also, can I say, why is everyone a virgin? Like the virginity trope. I am a woman in my mid-30s. I don't want to read about people losing their virginity. I try to not remember my own. I prefer that they all just know what they're doing. Just get to the the fun, sexy time where you know what you're doing. This isn't YA anymore. Exactly. I like my stories, you know, 20-somethings. I'm I'm in my 40s, but I don't think I would want to read a romance about someone in their 40s. Ageist? I am. I'm (laughs) sorry. I see myself naked on a daily basis. And you know what? I bet your husband loves every second of it. He does. He's very much a resand. Yeah. Well, that's who we are in a nutshell. And I think maybe explains a little bit of our chaotic energy that feeds off of each other that you're going to experience throughout these episodes. Who knows what special little golden nuggets of awesomeness are going to slip out of our mouths. And it's books. Who doesn't like like to talk about books? Exactly. And speaking of Iron Flame, by the time this episode comes out, it's already going to be out and about, but you can get your own copy of Fourth Wing Bonus Chapters. It is on Book Funnel, but if you go to Rebecca Yaros's website, there are bonus chapters from Zayden. This is in addition to what we got before. Oh, and your girl just got a first edition today. What? 
Yes. So I ordered a really special edition from England months and months ago with sprayed edges and gilded and supposed to ship soon. I got mine the other day. I have not gotten mine yet. I'm excited to get that one. My sweet, sweet boyfriend got me a signed copy of Iron Flame for Christmas. He was at Barnes and Noble and just looking and his dad was like, do you know anything about this book? He's like, I do. And I need to buy that. Stop it. It was like right there in the freaking store. Yeah, because Rebecca Yaros did some Barnes and Noble signed book day. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so they ended up at a Barnes and Noble that like just, you know, people's dads go to. Then no one's going (laughs) to get it. Damn it. Well, we got the Jennifer Armitrout. Yeah, Jennifer Armitrout, her new series, we found them at a bookstore when we were on a trip to the mountains. It had just released two weeks before that. I I told you. I know you'd read any of them yet. Well, any of her books yet. And I told her, I told you you would love it. And that is her new series, Wrath and Ruin. Wrath. Haven't even opened it yet. I probably won't. I'll probably get it on my Kindle. I read it on my Kindle because. I like to read on my Kindle, but I like pretty books as trophies. Yep, same. And if I, I love a book, it. I want like all the pretty versions of it. Yes. Yeah. Or like, I don't want to talk about how many versions of Harry Potter I have. Right? Same. <laughs> Illustrated version, the... the pop-up version. I have I like even... a 20th anniversary, like 15th anniversary copy, certain ones. I have some the UK Redding versions. Port. The red and yellow ones. Did they even fit? I don't even know if they finished they those. They finished those. I never bought those. But I have some UK versions, but only ones I thought like the artwork was pretty on. But if it has sprayed edges, I want it. I think I like Fourth Wing a little bit better than Harry Potter. I don't know if I can say that yet because Harry Potter is so deeply ingrained in me. I've read it so many times. I've listened to it. I've watched the movies. I don't know that I'll love anything ever as much as I loved Harry Potter because it just had such an impact on my life in so many ways. I look at all the people I know, you included, that I wouldn't know if Harry Potter wouldn't have been a part of my life. And that kind of brings me to like, I think why I love fantasy so much is almost always love the most important thing of all. Like, Love is the most magical. It overcomes evil. In in almost every fantasy, in some way, without love, they wouldn't be able to defeat the evil in it. Right. I think that's why you add a romance factor in these romanticies, and it makes it even more powerful because it's not just paternal love or platonic love, but adding that sexy romance love to it. And who doesn't just want love to solve all their problems? Yes. Love conquers all. Yeah. (laughs) We love all forms of love around here. I want you to know that I am that friend that is going to tell all my friends I love them all the time. And I'm going to make it weird. I say I love you when I hang up the phone to all of my friends. I say it all the time. One of my friend's husbands thinks it's weird that her and I say, I love you. And I'm like, well, he's weird. I think Um, Brian would probably encourage it. Yeah. Brian knows we say, I love you. Yeah. I even tell Brian I love him sometimes. I know. (laughs) Mainly out of a joke because you'll be saying, bye, Brian, love you. I'm like, bye, Brian, love you. And he'll say, love you too. (laughs) 
I think he he appreciates that. I am that girlfriend who I'm going to tell all my friends I love them. I'm going to make it weird. Platonic love. We should all be willing to accept and show platonic love more often. So that's my soapbox for today. Thank you for listening to my TED Talk <laughs> about platonic love. Yes. Stay tuned for drunken TED Talks. I don't know if I can keep doing those now that I have a boyfriend. I might lose my boyfriend if I keep giving drunken TED Talks. Oh, does he not love it? I don't know. We haven't talked about it. I've, I've only done like one since we started dating. Maybe my drunken TED Talk days are over because they used to be about how terrible men were 90% of the time. It's true. Usually they were about how terrible dating was. I think I've found a good one. Me too. You have a good one. He's a good egg. He is. Yes. He is my yin to my yang. Yes, and basically in a lot of ways, him and I are the same person, and that is why you love me so much. That's why we're best friends. Like, yes, yes, my husband and Hannah should be related. There was a lot of similarities there, and I think that might be why Carrie and I are such good friends is because I am just kind of a female version, a female, slightly more chaotic version of her husband. But bring that Leo energy, though, that's a different kind of chaos. I like the fact that both of you bring out the best in me. I'd probably never talk or have my face in a book and not have any friends if it weren't for you guys. You guys no, make me talk. talk to me, bitch. I love you both. Well, I love you too. See, I make people tell me they love me. So let's get into part one of Iron Flame. So Violet's munching on biscuits. Brennan is alive. Brennan is alive. And now he's a lieutenant colonel and goes by a new name to kind of stay under the radar so everyone still thinks he's dead and gone. Brennan and Aiden have an assembly of the revolution. All the cadets listen in. The fact that their forge isn't working. They need a luminary. We now get introduced to Viscount Karis, apparently, who has a luminary, but he's not really willing to trade it because he likes to collect things. The assembly votes to send the cadets back to Baz Gaia, and they will all have to lie about the wyverns and Venon. Brennan explains that Taryn's previous rider, Naolan, who we think he had a relationship with, healed Brennan and died. Marv and the other dragons hid him in a network of caves under Erasia. Now, Erasia has a non-working ward stone, and Violet learns this, and she thinks that she can find information in the archives back at Baskaya. And so before we go heading back, Violet talks to Andarna, who is a moody teenager that needs to go into the deep sleep. So they return to Baskaya for graduation. Oops, I'm still alive. And Taryn carries Andarna back to the Vale. Zayden announces that Colonel Atos, Dane's father, is the one that sent them into combat at the war games. General Sorengale is very unhappy with this and confronts Violet. They tell the people in charge that Liam and Soleil died in a fight with Griffins at Athbine, which we know was not true, and Zayden is stationed in Samara, very far away, and Violet and Aiden are only allowed to visit each other once a week, and only because of Taryn and Sigil's mating bond. Graduation party commences, enter Spiked Lemonade, Colonel Atos introduces Vice Commandment Varish, because he is now out and Varish is in, and Varish is psycho. Atos threatens Violet and Mara's lives to try to keep Violet in line. Professor Grady joins the school, he heads up a new class, Rider Survival Course, 
It's a classified class where students have to survive in the woods. Oh, and, you know, being tortured. They can expect to be tested at any time. Violet asked Jacinia for some books on Beth history so she can start learning about the wards. Hundreds of pages later, Violet is stationed at the parapet for the first year's conscription day. She meets Liam's sister Sloan, who blames Violet for Liam's death. Arik also arrives, real name Cam. He is the king's son, and Violet and Dane recognize him, but he Clark Kent's everybody else at Baskaya. After crossing, everyone gathers in the courtyard. Barish's dragon Solus is a complete psycho, like his rider, and he burns a buttload of students. And then Taryn steps in and threatens to take Solus's other eye if he doesn't get the hell out of there. Violet decides to take up running with Imogen of all people, and in Battle Brief, they learn the outpost near Athbine. Remember that one, the final battle in Fourth Wing, was attacked by quote-unquote griffins. Of course, we know that is not true. Violet's friends are hurt that she's not talking to them. Oh, what was me? I can't lie to my friends, so I'm just gonna stay away. And Violet stays in her dorm room, reading up on Navarre's history. A random first-year kills Nate Dean, when asked who was Violet Sorengale, she said, I am silly, and Violet then turns around and kills him after he kills her. Before he dies, he says, secrets die with the people who keep them. Dane's father is sending assassins after Violet. Zane writes letters to Violet because she is whining and carrying on about communication and trust. A writer is killed by leaders of the Scribe Quadrant. Decinia recorded a request about a book that a writer requested about the border attack that supposedly didn't happen. She's not recording Violet's books in order to keep her safe. Violet receives a letter from Mira, but it's censored. Some parts are blacked out. Major Varish wants Violet to produce Andarna. Violet says dragons don't listen to humans, and basically she gives him the big F you. In the new class, Dane shows them all how to jump off a flying dragon. Terrence says absolutely not. You don't have to do everything that everybody else does. The riders from the F-Mine attack are being targeted. They're still trying to kill them off one by one for what they know. Violet leaves for Samara to see Zayden. Major Vare shows up and searches her bag, but never look in Taryn's saddlebags. So everything is safe. Samara outposts Violet finds Zayden fighting for time off to spend with her and her fight club. They kiss, but Violet still doesn't want more than that because she doesn't trust him. He tells her weapons can be used to extend and power the wards, and Aresha still needs wards because it is still unprotected. When they get back to Baskaya, the bear is pissed that Violet won't show him Andara, and he punishes her by making her produce lightning over and over and over and over again until she burns out and almost dies. Violet is still trying to help Sloane, but she is still being a little bitch, and she blames Violet for Liam's death. They're kidnapped for a class assignment. They have to work together with infantry, healer, scribe, and cadets to navigate a map in a forest. They have no idea how to work with one another, and they cannot contact their dragons because they have been given something to drink that takes away their connection. And enter Jack's dragon, who then kills one of them because she's still pissed Violet killed Jack. Violet tries to help out Sloane by poisoning her opponent and sparring. Sloane wins, but of course she doesn't give any credit to Violet, so Violet tells Sloane to train with Imogen in exchange for Liam's letters that he wrote to Sloane that Violet saved. Navarre is still sending propaganda to the border villages to keep foreigners out. They're stating that dragons across the border are ruining villages. We all know that it is, in fact, the Wyvern. Violet is still researching how to power the wards, reading book after book, but it wasn't recorded by anyone but maybe be the first six. Varys tries to punish Violet again about not seeing Andarna, but Terran almost kills his dragon Solus, and Varys gives up momentarily. Amira gets stationed with Zayden. Violet mentions to Mira that she's worried that the dragons across the border are actually Wyvern, but Mira says, oh honey, don't even worry about it. During sparring, Dane wants to fight Violet. He says, 
I don't know anything about Athbine. Arik reveals he knows what's really going on, and that's what's been driving him to become a rider. The squad has interrogation training so they can resist if they are ever captured. The squad is put in a chamber and tortured to see if they will break. Dane comes in with his mind reading, but he refuses to read Violet's mind. Then Varys beats up Violet to the point where Nolan the Mender has to come and heal Violet again and again just so they can keep breaking her. Violet gives vital information that cannot be shared. He leaves the door unlocked and they escape. Jack Barlow returns. Jack fucking Barlow. Nolan has spent a year trying to mend him, which is why he looks so sickly. Samara is attacked. Battle brief Professor Devera signs to Violet that Zayden is injured. She gets up, walks out, gets on Taren, and leaves to go find out if he's okay. Both Mira and Zayden are alive. He was hurt but healed by a mender. Then Violet and Zayden have steamy shower sex. Zayden takes Violet with him when he goes to get more illegal weapons to the Griffins. They meet with Serena and Kat, who turns out to be Zayden's ex. Karis of Pormiel has a luminary, but he wants to see Violet wield lightning as a price. And of course, Zayden says, nah, not gonna happen. And Andarna is still in the dream of sleep as all of this is going on, growing into a big, beautiful dragon. When Violet returns, Varish is livid that she left without permission. He goes to punish her, but dragon professor Kaori steps in. Violet finally tells Ree, Sawyer, and Riddick, listen guys, this is what's been going on, but leaves out Brennan and Arisha. They are super supportive and they want to help. Riddick mentions the first six kept personal journals that might have the information on the wards. So Jacinia finds out where they are. They are hidden in the vault in the archives. But there's a catch. Only one of the king's bloodline can enter. It's threshing for the first years. Violet's attending and then goes on watch on a tower with one of the other rebel cadets who is suddenly killed by a slew of infantry cadets. Violet, in the process, nearly falls off the tower, and guess who saves her? Jack fucking Barlow. Violet, Zayden, Jacinia, and the rest of the squad convince Arik to join them in the vault mission. Eric hates Zayden for killing his brother a while back, but they join forces to find the two journals and escape before they get locked into the vault. Zayden takes one journal to Brennan, Violet keeps another one for studying, then she runs into Nolan, who we've thought all this time is a wonderful man, but he gives her that drink that cuts off her connection from Tarn, and Nolan discovers the journal. She's kidnapped and tortured in a chamber by Varish and his crew for five days, she can't contact Taryn or anyone else. She starts to hallucinate due to the pain, and she sees Liam, who stays with her throughout the entire time. She doesn't break. They call Dane in. He reads Violet's memories, but she shows him the truth. The wyvern, the revolution. Then he takes down Varish. Hey, redemption arc, here we come. Zayden is there too. He kills the rest of the crew, helps rescue Violet. General Sorengale, who wasn't aware of any of this, somehow is there. She says she'll do anything to protect her children, including having a war with a neighboring country to protect Narvar's wards. She made a deal with Zayden to protect Violet in her first year, and she knows about the weapons that are being smuggled in. It's time to leave Basquiat and go to Eurasia, but Violet wants to offer the chance to all the students to leave Basquiat to join the revolution. About half the students come, including Dane, Jacinia, and some of the teachers, and they fly off for Eurasia. Let's get into Iron Flame. Let's start with some theories. I have a really big one that I think I need to talk about. But you go first. My biggest theory is about what her second signet is. I want to know what your your thoughts are on her second signet. I have my thoughts, but my thoughts are, and I have some receipts to back this up. I'm Whoa. not all pure chaos. I think that 
her second signet is distance wielding. They brought it up and said it was very rare. And Rebecca does not bring things up willy-nilly. Reasons why I think it is her second signet. First off, your signet is something fills a need that you have. Violet, after the battle at the end of Fourth Wing, like all throughout Iron Flame, has these dreams about not being fast enough to outrun the venom sucking the magic from the ground and her dying that way. And so then she starts running all the time because she has this desire to be faster. And she thinks being faster will save her life. And what is faster than being able to go whole battlefields in seconds? And this is where, and here are some points where I think this is where she showed that she can do this. When they are at Ryzen House in part two, and, and all these dragons are starting to land in the front, and it's really her sister and those people coming, and they say that she moved unnaturally fast from one place to the other. They're like, yep. and like they talk about that in several different places that she it's, moved so yeah. fast that she moved quicker than she should be able to. And I think those were little pieces of her showing her distance yielding. And they also often talk about how much ground her and Taryn, like how fast and how much they moved, they they flew faster than they were supposed to. And everyone just writes that off as him just being an incredibly fast dragon. But I think some of it could also be her distance wielding because their powers would beat off of each other. Also, if you think Andarna being able to flow time, although we we think that that is just what feather tails are able to do, but we don't know. She's the only feather tail we've known. It also had everything to do with Violet being able to get somewhere faster to save Leah, to save herself from those people in her room. All of those things were so she could cover more distance. So distance and being faster is something she desperately needs constantly. So what other desperate need does she have that a signet would take on but distance wielding? No, I know that's one of the big theories is distance wielding. I also know communicating with the dead, which I don't agree with that one at all. Yeah, I don't agree with that one because I genuinely think that Rebecca just selfishly wanted some of Liam again. Yeah. And... I think that she, and it's it's well documented within torture and severe stress, having vivid hallucinations of people. So I think that was literally just Violet's subconscious finding a way to help her through that traumatic experience. Yeah, I agree. And, and Rebecca just wanting a little bit of Liam. And when she says she wishes, like, she shouldn't have killed him off so soon. I know. Uh, I think that that brought that scene, that torture scene, and made it easier to swallow. And to say goodbye. And just say goodbye. Because in so many ways, we didn't get to say goodbye. I think because she has so much guilt about Liam's death as well. Uh I think that her in that traumatic moment, it was also a way for her to let some of her self-inflicted guilt go. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think it is 
her second segment at all to talk to the dead. The only other one that I struggle with is the amplifying one because there's so many examples of Violet amplifying other people's abilities, like Rihanna's ability to wield the dagger through the wall. This is where I'm going to come at you with a devil's advocate on that. Do it. So she starts training with the teacher at Ryerson House once they've separated. He explains to her that her first signet is not lightning, it's pure power, and that she is most comfortable yielding that is through lightning. But I think the fact that her first signet is actually pure power, when she amplifies those other people, it's that pure power signet that she's using in that instance. I get where the amplification comes from, but I think that that's more her not understanding how her first signet really works. Because everyone just says you're a lightning wielder, but she learns that she's not a lightning wielder. Signet is pure power. So if she's able to amplify, manifest that pure power and push it onto someone else, in a way, she's amplifying, but with that pure power signet that she has. I can see that. The only other thing that I noticed was, and it could be pure power, that Mira, she didn't manage to wield the ward around them in Formel, but Violet amplified her power, Mira's power. Um, yeah. But that would, again, like, means that she could infuse some of her power. My explanation to, to back up my distance wheeling theory is I think that is just her using her first signet in a different way. She tells Taryn, that he couldn't be in two places at once, so maybe she can. Again, Rebecca Yaros doesn't say things just to say things. The fact that distance wielding was brought up at all, we had never heard of it before until she starts questioning Zayden about what his second signet is. He says there's only been two distance wielders in the past century. Rebecca wouldn't tell us that if distance wielding wasn't important. And... There have been many amplifiers over the years. The one that everybody is talking about right now, and this is probably should be saved for part two, but I can't I can't handle is that she's venom. Lilith Sorengale was venom and she passed it on to Violet. And that's why she can kind of be in or that she's Zayden's a half breed. breed. Yeah. Or yeah. Or yeah, kind of a half breed of sorts because they even mention it. I pulled it up in chapter 66 in the epigraph at the very beginning. It says, we have tried every method we know of. As you requested, there's no cure. There's only control. But the missive is from Lieutenant Colonel Nolan. It's not Colonel Nolan. Lilith. So it's old. Um, right. I don't believe that Lil Lilith is venom. I think that she was touched by a venom in a mission when she was pregnant with Violet. This is my theory. And that caused the quote-unquote fever that she had. I think she believes that Violet might be venom, and that's why she wants to know a cure. Because at that point, we would have been able to see the red rings around our eyes. You can't save that. Jax was even starting to occur. If she had been uh... venom for that long, her eyes would be red, and there's no way they would be able to cover that. So do you think her blood could be the cure? I think that Violet's blood could potentially be the cure. I think that Lilith was touched and slightly siphoned by a venom when pregnant. And then that's what caused 
Violet's them sucking part of her life force is why she is kind of frail. It's why her hair is always silver, no matter how short it is, because she was basically touched by a venom, but in the wound. But she survived it. I think that that Lilith wanted to know the cure because in her mind she thought that Violet might be full on venom as she got older. I think she's going to have to be the one to save Zayden. And it's, I do, which I would think it would be really great because Zayden's been saving her, you know, the first yeah. couple of books. <laughs> now, I do think whatever Violet is, is not straight human. I think there's some venom situation involved. I don't think that her mom is venom because, again, I think the red eyes, she wouldn't have been able to hide that. Right. Yeah. That's they don't have con- they don't have contacts in this world, guys. And even with Jack only being venom for that short amount of time, he was starting to have the red ring around his eyes. And so, if she had been venom Violet's whole life, twenty something years, her eyes would be fully red. So that is where I'm going to say her mom's not venom. But I do think she had an encounter with a venom while pregnant with Violet. It kind of makes me think Yara has done such a good job of portraying Violet as herself suffering from the Ehlers-Danel syndrome with overflexible joints, the chronic pain, why Violet yeah. wraps her knees. I wonder if this is playing into that as well. Yeah, I think so. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. For example, I was born really ill um, because my brother gave my mother strep. And so when I was born, it turned into an autoimmune Yeah, that turns into another autoimmune. And so I'm just wondering if that is genetic. I don't know. From like Lilith to Violet. I think so. I think it like weakened her when touched by the venom. And it sounds like her mother fought for her life and Violet's life when that happened from the brief conversations. So I think that would be how that developed. And it's kind of like a fantastical way of how some of these genetic conditions get passed on. Do you think her dad's dead? Yeah. Violet's dad is dead. I do. And Rebecca has said he is dead. I keep seeing these things all over Instagram and uh, here's the thing: She'll like allude to things, but if she straight out says it, she's not going to go back on that. That's what I'm thinking. I think he is dead. I think we might find another journal or something that was hidden that he wrote with more detail or research that he did. I think that that is more likely that we will find out something like that. I'll tell you who I think is not dead. Um, <laughs> Taryn's first writer. Agreed. Taryn's Agreed. first writer is Venon. I think the reason why... Violet has the vivid dreams where that venom feels like he's talking directly to her and is actually because that venom still has a bond with Taryn. And so therefore he has a bond with Violet and a bond with Zayden. And Zayden at the very end of Iron Flame talks about how it happened just like his dream, meaning he had been having the exact same type of dreams as Violet. Yes. So if they ever would have just fucking talked to each other about their dreams, maybe they would have realized that they weren't really dreams and that they were being inceptioned by a venom. And Taryn said, dragons are keeping secrets too. Yes. Yes. So, I completely agree. I think he's venom. And I think because now that Zayden's venom, Sigal is still around. At the end of the book, she was still there. Well, so is Jack's 
dragon before he so killed st- her. Yeah. yeah, rude. Jack fucking Barlow. Rude. Jack fucking Barlow. It's a whole nother episode. Ugh. You know what? I'm going to use a word that most Americans don't like. And you can bleep it out if you want to. But he's a... He is the worst. I cannot stand him. Or Cat. But I, I hate Jack way more. If we were Cat, we probably would feel the exact same way. Jack Barlow had no reason to truly hate Violet. And he also killed a dragon for no reason. No, yeah, he did. It was a dragon that came back for him. I hate that she brought him back. I understand I, why she I brought him back. I get why she brought him back. But it takes Ugh. away from that incredible triumphant moment in yes. Fourth Wing where she kills this person who has been hunting her this whole book and and then also feels bad about it. But wait, now I have a signet. So it was this huge turning point for her as a person, her as a writer, and then, oh, never mind. You didn't actually kill him. And they then he cr- saves a her. whole thing of rocks crushed him. How I, did he not die? I get it. You had to bring him back for this reason or the other. But, oh, it just drove me nuts. It's like Voldemort. He keeps coming back. Strongly dislike. Speaking of dislike, Cat. Okay. Do we want to yes. talk about Cat? I dislike Cat because... She's a jealous ex-girlfriend. And here's and we've the thing. we've all had those. Yeah, or been them at some point <laughs> in our lives. Tr- yes, but Here's the thing. Zayden should have told Violet about Kat. And I don't know, but you usually talk about exes or at least former fiancés when you're in a relationship. And according to a wiki, I cannot prove this yet, but according to a wiki about her, they were betrothed for nine months. He says he never agreed to it, and I kind of can see that. I can see everyone's just, well, you have to do this, and he never said yes or no. I think that was probably was really the case there. Before he met Violet, he broke it off before that school year. She was awful to Violet. <laughs> yes, but I think, one, I mean, who <laughs> wants to lose Zayden? And two, Kat, more than anything, just wanted the throne. Yeah, she was all about power. She wanted the power that being with Zayden would give her. Yeah, and power like, over peen. I mean, I think she liked the peen, too. But I did not like that she used her powers. Because I don't think they're called signets with Griffin writers. There's something else. But it's essentially, they're signet. Which hers is to heighten emotions. So Violet thinks she's making her feel all these crazy things. But really, she's just heightening the jealousy and the insecurities that Violet already had. But also, you bitch, you shouldn't do that. One, against the rules. And two, rude. But would I do that if I had that power? Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to see my boyfriend's ex for the first time next weekend. So let's see how I react. <laughs> I'm not I'm not mean or vindictive. And I don't say that in a sarcastic way. I say that in a real <laughs> no, way. No, you're not mean. You're not I'm, mean I'm not all. confrontational. We all have, like, insecurities. If you look at it from her point of view, mm, yeah. But she kept showing up to Zayden's room and shit. Not That's cool. some crap. That but is some crap. I'm not going to lie. Kat dropped that really great line that, I mean, then Violet throws back in her face a little bit later. But her uh. being like, that trick with his fingers. 
I'm the one that taught him that. What a way to get in another girl's head. But also, I would have, I would have popped her. Yeah, no lie, I would have hit her. I wouldn't have hit her, but I would have cried. <laughs> but also, I probably would have gone to my boyfriend and been like, "Oh my god, this is what she said to me." But Violet is the worst communicator in the world. And second in line is Zayden. So the two of them need a master class in communication. And for two people that can talk to each other in their thoughts, they don't say jack shit. Uh, Yeah, exactly. It it annoys me so much that they don't talk. And and that she's holding this over his head. Like, I can't be with you because you can't tell me everything. It's like, seriously? He is in a war. There are things he's not going to be able to tell her. And she should be okay with that. I'm sure there are things I don't know that Brian says or does. And I'm not going, I need to know everything that you're saying at work. Like, this is really important. And I genuinely think he only means around the safety of other people and war. Right. He said, I'm willing to tell you everything about me. But he can't tell you things that will put other people in jeopardy. I actually have respect for him for that. She should have backed off. She should have said, oh, you know what? You're right. I don't want to risk or jeopardize other people's lives. Hmm. I guess I'll just be patient. You can tell me when you feel safe enough. That should have been enough. Yeah. All you have to do is ask. But then she never asks anything. He knows that it's in her mind. He knows that she wants to ask about her mom. But she doesn't ask. And I do kind of agree with him. He knew that she knew. And she's like, well, then why didn't you just talk about it? He's because I wanted you to ask. And I get that. Or he wanted her to be like, I want to know about this. Because I think he was trying to teach her to be a slightly better communicator about all you oh, have yeah. to do is ask. He was always trying to teach her things indirectly like with the runes and the fabric and there was a reason behind it it's just she didn't have enough trust to go through with it and realize oh this guy has my best interest at heart yeah which might be a 20 something year old feeling because at my age I don't I don't really distrust anything Brian says or does well I mean they're a new couple they're in the middle of war neither of them had good examples of love. Zayden's mom left the moment she could. It was an arranged marriage. She'll come back. I think she's going to show up. I think she She's not dead. She's coming back. I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know. But she's coming back. Again, I don't know who she really is, what that's going to mean, in what capacity, what side of things she's on. But she's coming back. Some people say that she's Venom. I don't know why that would be I think a theory. Everybody just wants everybody to be Venom at this point. <laughs> like I want Venom not they, to be bad. I just think that at this point, everyone just wants a theory that nobody else has had. So they're like, Venom, Venom, Venom. The next thing we know, the dragons went Venom. I think that she's coming back for sure. Um, I think she's been probably in some foreign land that we don't know about yet that's going to bring some kind of resource or power or something if Zayden makes up with her. It says that the marriage contract between his parents only required to birth an heir who will reach at least the age of 10. So she left when he was 10. Yeah. If there's a contract, if it's just 
here's your heir. I probably would have trouble with it just being like, oh, that's my child. But if she never connected or never made an effort, she didn't want to make an effort. I don't know. Well, he has mommy issues, so. Yes, he does. But so does Violet. Oh, my gosh. Her mother, uh, she reminds me of Snape. You want to say that she was this good person that, like, I don't think she's as bad as Snape. And I tell you why. I do not believe that the few things of good that Snape did outweighed all the bad that he did. He still bullied and tormented children like Neville Longbottom that had nothing to do with Harry. It was purely he got joy out of tormenting children. Her mom was not a great mom, but I also think she was raised to be a warrior and they don't exactly teach you at war college how to be nurturing. And so they're in a country that's constantly at war. Her mother is a general and she's having to fly off and fight wars and raise warriors. And she doesn't know what to do with a frail child. Right. But that doesn't mean she didn't love her children. Oh, yeah. I, th- I, I think she loved them. I just think she loved some more than others, like Brennan. Yeah. Who's alive, by the way. Who's oh, alive. Um, <laughs> and oh makes my good God, when the mother sees him. Love yes, I, d- I don't think that her mom needed as large of a redemption arc as some people think she needed. She wasn't a nurturing mom. I think she genuinely believed that Violet would make it through the writer's quadrant i think that she also knew that her daughter was entirely too smart i think that she knew if she became a scribe that they wanted to make her second in command and her daughter's sense of justice would then once she knew everything which would probably be pretty quickly or would she have even realized they were planning for her to be who took over for the leader of the scribes once she was like read in the secret was shared one i think she would have found it out very quickly And two, I think her mother knew that her sense of justice, she would have brought the whole thing down from the scribe quadrant. But here's the thing. She ended up bringing the whole thing down anyway. I think her mom was trying to protect her because she knew she was a scribe and didn't know how to defend herself, which she would not have known. She would not have known how to use a weapon at all, that she just would have been killed when she went against everyone Uh, so her only way of protecting her daughter and her intelligence was to put her in the quadrant where she would learn how to defend herself i like that she kind of says something like that towards the end with talking because vasco's like why'd you send me to die she's like i sent you to learn how to live i just wish she would have conveyed it in a nicer way I coming from a no family who has favorite knows how to communicate in this <laughs> It wouldn't make for a good story, but everybody knew Brennan was the favorite. And then Mira was just like her. And then here's poor pitiful Violet. And I'm like, okay, you're throwing well, she her was into your father's the... favorite, and that's very clear. I hate that though. You shouldn't be anyone's favorite. I mean, I don't disagree, although I constantly say I know I'm my mom's favorite. I know she can't say it out loud, but I know it deep in my heart. And she just laughs and tell me, tells me I'm, I'm crazy, but I'm her favorite. 
My brother, who has three girls, very clearly has a favorite. So it's the one that looks exactly like my sister-in-law. But so, no, I mean, you're not supposed to have favorites. But here's the thing. Most parents end up having a favorite, whether we like it or not. So that is actually more realistic, you know? I know. I know. I just... If you ask Brian's parents if they have a favorite, they absolutely deny and they say, we love our boys equally. Because his parents are good parents. We're not talking about good parents here. They are really great. And look, my parents always say they don't have a favorite. Like I said, I just say, just because you can't say it doesn't mean I don't know it in my heart. I I can, I bet you anything if I ask my father-in-law, I'm his favorite. So as long as you're not tequila carry a story for another day. I think we have covered some very good theories. I agree. I think we, we got to save that spicy conversation. Most of the spice happens in part two. I did not mention my chair. I know. I purposely walked around that. I want details. It's going to be so good. Okay, peeps. I think that gets us to the end of part one with a little extra. It's hard not to, when you're talking theories, bleed the two. But we will be back with part two. And part two is where we get into the spiciness. Spiciness. Spicy time. time. We all have that to look forward to. I can't wait. Absolutely. So if you liked this uh, particular brand of craziness, we would love to have you back. Tell all your friends. Carrie, tell them where they can find the podcast on the social medias. We are on Instagram at the.firefly.collective as well as TikTok with the same name. We will be posting our webpage up shortly again with the same name. And I think that's about it. And our individual Instagrams, if you would like to follow our, our particular brand of chaos in, in more forms and fashions, I am at Hannah W. Cosplay on Instagram. And I am at The Crafty Charmer on Instagram. We hope that you will be back and listening to the next episode. Leave a review, five stars, if you liked it. Um, follow not- all the places you listen to your podcast. And yeah. share us with all of your book talk friends. Yes, please do. We are brand new at this, so it, it's only going to get better from here. Yeah, or more chaotic. Wait till we decide to start drinking while we record. <laughs> oh, wait, you didn't drink? No. I had a glass of red. It's okay. I just had my Stanley of water over here. Oh, sorry. This was me sober, guys. Uh-oh. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. <laughs>